I apologize, first of all, for not having given uh, you more forewarning about, um, I was going to say, a, uh, this service coming up, the interracial service coming up over at the Vision of Faith Church. A uh, wonderful thing has happened with our Broken Arrow Ministerial Association. There seems to be a real brotherhood and family feel that's developing among pastors within the community. Uh, that happened with the Black, the Blue event. Uh, there's about 20 or so pastors that I think um, are real partners. And uh, that's a new thing. It's sad that it's a new thing, but it's a new thing. And, and those pastors, having seen how uh, the racial tensions in our country have, have, have been magnified and uh, wanting to do something about that, knowing that for most of us, that is not our heart at all. Uh, but we decided to do something about it. And so we put that, that service together with really the only other black pastor that I even know in the whole Broken Arrow community. Um, he's actually been here several nights. Uh, he was formerly a Broken Arrow police officer, and I met him when the church alarms went off on several occasions. So uh, he's been here, but I've never been there. Uh, and so I look forward to going to that service this next Sunday night, and I hope you'll consider uh, joining me at that. Uh, your very presence, just being there, is, is a strong message uh, of what you value and how you love and what you hope for our community. So uh, I want to put that before you. But as I said that, I thought, you know, I, I didn't mean to give you, I should have, well, it wouldn't have had any effect, would it, if I had told you that the arrest was coming at the end of the service this last week. Uh, and and I, I intended for that to be a wake-up alarm, you know, for the real consequences of, of, our, of our choices and the exercise of our, our um rights as a citizen and our responsibilities as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, but I know that took many of you completely off guard. And, th and though I wanted it to be a wake-up call, I had no idea how alarming it would be. Uh, that was actually my cousin, my little cousin that was cuffing me and taking me from the room. He really is a policeman. Um, but I was glad he came in his vest once, once I realized how... how how, how you guys were reacting. You're so loyal to me and defending of me that I, 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 when we got to the door, I said, we better get out of here. Somebody might jump you. Uh, and uh, it, it was a dramatic end of the service. But as I was walking out, I was terrified that, you know, did I tell my mom I was going to do this? Uh, I, I thought somebody might be having a stroke in here. And, and uh, I didn't intend for, for it to be something of that kind of trauma. Uh, though I did, I did hope it make, made the point. So if, if that was too much for you last Sunday, I hope you'll receive my, my apology. Uh, but I'm still glad I did it. <laughs> uh, so. But you know, Luke, Luke 17, 1, Jesus says, he, he rarely puts forth kind of, um, truths this emphatically and this succinctly, he says, in this life, offenses, it's inevitable that they come. You know, and I might have offended you last week or, or uh, uh, 
It's amazing to me, though, that in, if we can sit, show the next slide, it's, it's amazing to me, though, that in this minefield of, of potential offense, it, it, it's really interesting to me that I, you offend me much more than I ever offend you. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, if, if you were just going to honestly assess, who is it that does the most offending? Is it others that are offending you or is it you that's offending them? How many vote for others? Anyone got a vote, vote for others out there? And, and, but, but, you know, I'm just as human as the next person. But, but it's amazing to me in, the, in this inevitable, imperfect world where offenses will come, how often my vision is so skewed that it's almost always someone else that's done something that offends me. And so that now my offending them is completely justified. You know. It's a scary thing. Our own self-righteousness. It, it, it can numb us. Numb us and justify and have us looking right back. The way we retaliate or, or the way we. The, the emotional wake that we leave behind us. It's all justified in our case. But it's all offense when it's coming the other way. Uh, just this last week, I was in a moment full of self-righteousness. Uh, I knew I was right. Um, God and I were in perfect sync And I responded to a sister that I loved with, with, with such insensitivity that I drove her to tears. And I didn't know about it, the tears part, until later. But having not known about that, I, I never even had a check in my spirit when we think of ourselves as so self-righteous and everyone else must be wrong, we have a tendency to justify whatever kind of wounds we create in vindicating ourselves. And, and this morning, I, I recognize that about myself and I repent. But part of the reason this morning I repent is part of the graciousness of that other person to forgive. You know, I, I really truly think this about forgiveness. That when someone else forgives you an offense, it, it may be your first opportunity to get off your stinking high horse and in their forgiveness, take another look at yourself. It's, it's, it's really uh, a dangerous thing how, how we respond to offense in our lives. Uh, it, it can actually be one of those, you know, uh, we were singing about God's grace a minute ago. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Do, do, you, know, do you know... The very word for offense 
is scandalon. And you know what a scandalon is? If, if, you look, if you look in those bear traps right there, do you, see, do you see the little plate in the middle of the bear trap? That, that hold, the, the, the little thing that holds the bait, that, that lures towards the entrapment? That's the scandalon in Greek. It's inevitable that scandalons will come. But you know, usually when I step on one of those snares, I am so self-righteous I don't even feel the pain. I I know you're not that way. I I know when you're offended, you don't start rehearsing just exactly how you're going to respond. You know, boom, you know. But but there's there's a tendency in me. Oh my gosh. Uh, of course, I do it with Christian repose. <laughs> but 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 when offended, especially when we feel like we've been righteous, we're we're righteous in this situation, and someone has offended us, the the kind of viciousness with which we give license to our own tongues and our own responses can be absolutely scary. And, and one of the reasons that cuts so deep is because, you know, that, that taking offense always wounds the deepest with those that you love the must, most. How, how many times have you said, don't they know my heart? And I'm wondering, how, how many times has someone else said that about me? Don't they know my heart? When I know exactly what they did and exactly what motive behind it was. And, it, it, you know, I can see all the humanness on that side of the, the equation. Uh, are you with me? And, and, and so, Peter in this parable today, in Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35, he approaches Jesus. And this is his question. He, he, in his own, I think it was a very, I think he was feeling pretty good about himself. I think he had forgiven someone four times that day. Four times, maybe, you know. And he, even, even the rabbinic standard for forgiveness, you know, they were good baseball guys, I guess. Three strikes and you're out. Three was what they said. You, you forgive a man three times, and after the third time, you know, write that off. Three times and you're out. You know, if baseball has it as a rule, it can't be all wrong, right? Uh, I know baseball doesn't go back that far. Don't, but, but anyway, Peter approaches Jesus, and this is his question. His question is, Lord, when my brother offends me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven. Seven times. And, and I, I'm sure he was expecting Jesus to go, Oh, Peter, my prize pupil. The rabbis say three times and you've doubled it and added one. You know the divine number. It's seven Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in you. know, I, I don't know where he thought he was going to go w- with this. But, but I can almost guarantee you 
He was not expecting what he heard. Look in Matthew chapter 18. After Jesus has been asked this question in verse 21. In verse 22, we pick up his story. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. (gasps) I'm sure Peter's jaw dropped and he's still doing the math. I mean, he's a fisherman. 70 times seven. Like you know what it is. Do you know what it is? 490. Okay, all the math was this. Okay, fine. And you bet he did the math. You know he did the math. You know, because he wasn't looking for how many times he had to opt in for forgiveness. He was looking for the point that he got to opt out. If you have to forgive three times, it's number four that I'm looking for. If you have to give seven times, it's number eight that I'm looking for. And if you have to give 490 times, <laughs> you're probably tired of looking. 490 times, 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of God may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, when, G- when, we got, when Jesus tells the parable, the other parable about one servant getting a talent and another five talents and another 10 talents, a talent was like an inheritance. It, it was a bunch of money. 10,000 talents is like a national debt level of indebtedness, okay? So think in those terms. And when he had begun to settle accounts with him, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, of course, who would? His Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Economically, uh, that's well within reason. And in the culture of the time, that was one of the ways in which debts were paid off. So Jesus is speaking from what he sees in their own culture, drawing them a picture. He's not endorsing slavery. The, The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Now, that's an incredible attitude to have if you're talking about the national debt. And I will repay you everything. This this master knew that that was impossible. But I don't think he was thinking of his ability. Okay, that's a just return. I can hold out for that. I think he was noticing his attitude. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the whole debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him. After all, you know, someone owes you a hundred denarii. You're justified in choking him, aren't you? Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. 
Does that sound familiar? Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, however, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay back all that he owed. A hundred denarii. Uh, okay, he, okay, well, let me finish it and then we'll do the math, okay? A hundred Then summoning him, his Lord said, oh, I missed a verse. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, the scandal of it all, they, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you, you and all the debt because you had entreated me. Because you had entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave even as I had mercy on you? It's just a question. He convicts him with a question and, and the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until they should until he should repay all that it was owed him. And then and then the punchline, the kick in the heart, so shall my heavenly father also do to you if each of you does not forgive your brother when he has repaid you. That's not what it says. That that you would forgive your brother. From your heart. He's talking about things that only happen on our side of the fence. That, that, that we would be those that, that lived and modeled that kind of forgiveness. After all, aren't we those who have received that very kind of forgiveness? How then could we withhold it from those who offend us? Christ has paid a much higher price to forgive us then we will probably ever have to pay to forgive another. How then could we withhold as the forgiven forgiveness? The scandal on. It can be a snare. It can so deceive us, so take us down a path, that, that we actually become snared by our response of offense. M most of the time, and, and let, let me ask you this. If offense is a snare, who said it? Did God set this? If offense is a snare, who said it? What, was it the person that was trying to provoke you or the person who, who did offend you? Uh, occasionally, but almost every time that, that there's an offense, we are facing a moment where we can, in that moment, even in our own self-righteousness, even though we can justify it in our own mind, even though we think anything that we might do in response is completely vindicated, we can, in that moment, become a tool of destruction in someone else's life. We can become a tool of destruction in the relationship that we share. And we can become a tool of destruction in the agenda of God to win that person who has offended us and who needs forgiveness, not only from us, but from our Heavenly Father. We become in that moment that connection either to Him or to their condemnation. Do you follow what I'm saying? So, so if someone is set in this snare to take us down that path, and their ultimate goal is not only to separate us, but to separate that other from the one who forgives 
and is completely innocent. Who sets the snare? And if we, if we can keep in mind, whenever another party has offended us, that there are at least three parties involved. And, and that God himself, as a fourth party, may or may not be honored by our response. Th- th- things begin to shift. How quickly this one with the unforgiving heart seems to have forgotten. He has to be questioned uh, about his own forgiveness. There, there's been a, a book that's written, I read half of it yesterday and could hardly put it down by John Brevere called The Bait of Satan. And in it he talks about how when we refuse to forgive, when we step on the scandal and get entrapped in our own spirit of scorn of another, the kind of devastation that can come from that, not only to the one that we're angry with, but even to ourselves. You know, when you're easily offended, and doesn't Paul define love that way? Love is patient, love is kind, and somewhere along all those lists of things that love is, it says love is not easily provoked. Love does not keep an account of wrongs. Love. Well, where does this kind of love come from? Jesus told us that in another parable. Remember the woman who wept at his feet and poured out her love and self-righteous Pharisees considered it an offense? And Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. If, if, our, if our love for another who has offended us it has a lack, if it's, if it's got a deficit, if it's not powerful enough to overcome the offense, maybe what we're missing is a sense of our, of our own forgiveness. Our own forgiveness from God. Now, let's do the math here just a little bit. We started down that road. The, the, the rabbi said, said three. Peter, bless his heart, rose the tally to seven. A huge leap of faith, Right? Just to seven times being willing to forgive. And Jesus then turns and says, no, but 70 times seven. He wasn't talking about the limits of our ability to forgive. He wasn't talking about uh, the degree to which someone else might be deserving of our forgiveness because they've become repentant. He was talking about an attitude that we should walk in as default. An attitude of forgiveness because we ourselves have been, been forgiven. But that's totally contrary to our human finite nature. If we lose sight of how much we've been forgiven, it's very easy for us to start doing the math. <laughs> Becoming more conscious of the math than we are of, of the master. Forgiveness always challenges the human heart. We, we can choose as the offended to resent and to start working towards revenge, uh, we, we can call it righteous income, uh, 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 righteous intent, but, but still it, it builds resentment in us and it makes us though that would, would joy in, in revenge or, or in this parable, he could have chosen 
Not resentment or revenge, but to release. Oh, but that's hard. Good grief. I don't know if there's anything harder. I think that's why God had to do it first. I think that's probably one of Jesus' strongest acts. Was as an innocent heart forgiving those who reviled him. Forgiveness challenges. But forgiveness is not only a challenge to the one who is called to forgive. Forgiveness becomes a challenge to the one who is forgiven. Once someone forgives you, as it happened with me, you're no longer self-absorbed in your own defenses. Right? You're no longer trying to justify your side of the equation. And, and, and maybe, even though there's a part of your heart that's still convinced that, that the other one has some liability to share in this thing, in, in, in an atmosphere of forgiveness, I can let go of all of that and start to self-examine a little bit. Does that make sense? I, I can start to own some of, some of my part of this because it's not going to become that by which that other person condemns me. They've forgiven me. If, if I can forgive, I, I wonder what works best. What works best for you? What is it that, that empowers you to a heart of repentance in any situation? If someone has got you collared and, and pointing the finger at you and nagging you and uh, uh, pointing out your wrong and creating new rules for which you should live by and all those kind of, are, are those the kind of things that, that encourage your heart to repentance? Makes me so doggone rebellious I could spit in their eye. I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the human side of me. Are, are, am I the only one that's that way? So, it just triggers. It's like stepping on a bear trap. It just triggers it in me. But when someone loves me enough to forgive me, I feel an overwhelming responsibility to that forgiveness. I own my own sincere vow not to go there again. Not not to become a tool in God's destruction in somebody else's life. Forgiveness challenges us. Forgiveness loves Forgiveness loves. It puts the other person, it puts the relationship, it puts our witness before God above this wound. And in doing so, by our stripes, this situation can be healed. When are we more like Jesus than when we can take a hit and keep on loving? Forgiveness challenges, forgiveness loves. Forgiveness liberates. It liberates the offender. When we don't know forgiveness as an offender, what we do know is condemnation. What we do know is a prison of guilt. What we do know is a restriction to ever even try again. What we do know is that we have not just failed, we have been labeled a failure We are given an identity. And without the liberation of forgiveness, it can become a prison to us. 
Forgiveness liberates. It liberates us to get in touch with our own forgiveness. So, so while we're eating up with anger and eating up with resentment and rehearsing all of our venom, all that time we could have been soaking in, my God, how deeply you forgive me. Now, now which, which do you think is going to leave your heart in a better place at the end of the day? I know it. This makes perfect sense to me. Could y'all just leave and let me preach to myself for a moment? There's a scandal about our scorn, and it's a trap. But God's grace can free us. When, when we do as Jesus did, there's a, there's a scripture about which a whole book has been written called In His Steps. The passage is in 1 Peter. Would you turn there with me if you have your scripture? 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. What? That we might have the strength of love to suffer even for the sake of another. He who committed no sin. Now, how many of us can claim that? Usually only in the heat of that self-righteous, vindicated spirit. Who committed no sin. Who committed no sin. Now was. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled. He did not revile in return. While suffering. He uttered no threats. But This is the key. But kept entrusting himself to him. Who judges. Righteously. I can entrust myself not only to him who judges righteously, but to him who loves so deeply that he himself has forgiven me. Though if you did the math, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair for his back to be striped. Can you do the math? Forty times. That all my sin might be forgiven. It, it, it wasn't right. For him to take three nails when he's released me from all of them. It wasn't fair. But that's the nature of the master of love that we serve. And that's what he's done for us. So this is my point. Maybe, maybe the next time that we find ourselves uh, with that little moment of, of, let's call it a window of clarity, when we're stepping into something and we hear the, and, 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 and inside we're aware, whoo, pressure's rising, I've been offended, you know, and just, just before you pounce, realize that your pouncing is also your captivity. Kink. Right? It's, it's fashioning down on you. And so, so maybe, may, maybe this is not an opportunity then for righteous revenge. But may, maybe this is better seen as an opportunity to grow in righteousness. And it's going to be hard. <laughs> Ooh, it's going to be hard. 
and it ain't going to be fair. And the other person isn't going to get it. And the right people may never know. And, and they may misjudge you and mislabel you. But the one to whom you owe everything knows the whole truth. So, so what, if, what if that moment then isn't one of those moments where all that starts coming up within us isn't an opportunity to deal with all that starts coming up within us? You know, when, when they refine gold, you know how they do it? It, look, it looks, you know, the gold on your hand is not pure gold. It's much harder than pure gold. Pure gold is really pretty soft stuff, pretty malleable stuff. They, they've, had, they've had to take this gold that's hard enough to be a ring and, and, and with other alloys mix it. There's, there's, there's stuff in most gold, see, that, that, that's, re, that's really foreign substance. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's other kind of metal. And, and these opportunities, when the heat rises, are, are those moments where all that impurity that's always been down in there, but you've been able to keep it hid because you're kind of walking soft through the world, you know, avoiding all the offenses, <clears throat> you know, and then r- right in that moment, the pressure, right, and it's just it, the heat of that. It's like gold being thrown in the fire. <laughs> and in that moment, stuff rises to the top. All that junk you never dealt with because of your dad, <laughs> you know. That relationship in high school that never should have been. Woof. You know? That, that, that jerk at work that was your boss for 10 years and never promoted you and now they're overlooking you. You know, it's just... You heat up gold, even gold that's still precious in the sight of those who, to whom it belongs. You heat up that gold and the, and, and the impurities start to come out. They start coming to the to the to the top. And in fact, the way they refine it is with, with flux. I don't, even, I don't know what flux is. I just read it. But, but, but something they put in the gold, they grind the gold to powder, and then they put flux in with it. I don't know what flux is. Uh, I can only imagine. But, 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 you know, where do you go for flux? Anybody got any flux stores around that they know of? So you, so you pull in the flux, you put it there in the gold, you heat it up, and the flux connects with the alloy, and it's so, it rises up to the top, and it's dross. And, and the way they refine the gold is when that stuff comes up to the cost, they, just, they slake it off. They slake it, and they add more heat. And you don't know it was in there. It looked like all the dross was gone. But you add some more heat, here comes some more, right? And isn't that, isn't that like forgiveness? Isn't that like, I, I, I can in one moment, I can, I can hear a really good sermon. You know what I'm saying? And, and I will forgive that jerk that I know I never really fully forgave. I, I will do it. I will do it. I will walk the aisle. I will go to the altar. I will bow the knee. You know me. I will shed the tear, right? Completely sincere. And if someone would ask me in that moment, have you forgiven him? I'd say, yes, you idiot, that's what I just did. You can't see that I've forgiven that person, right? But a week later, a week later, the music that was at playing in the background in that moment of great offense comes up on the radio. And here comes the dross. 
There it is again. What, what, did I not forgive him? No, no, I forgave him. But forgiveness is not only a decision and a point in time, it's also a process. And so the more that stuff starts coming up, it's not that I didn't forgive him, it's that I am signed up to be a forgiver. I'm going to walk with this kind of attitude. And so whenever I hit some heat and that comes to the top, that's going off. You follow me? And, and someday there will come a day for that particular situation where all the heat in the world can come down on you. No dross. Not about that. That's forgiven. Never, not, not, not even a hint of anxiety or resentment. It's, you made a decision at one time, Lord, be the refiner of my heart. Whenever this comes up, it's my decision that I have forgiven this person, though my heart is impure and that heat may show it. Lord God, I ask you to take from me that which I cannot take out of myself. And I just offer that. That's how forgiveness works. It's both a point of decision and also a process. So as we close today, I'm asking you this question. Where's the unfinished forgiveness business in your own life? You know, if it wasn't for God's great forgiveness of us, this may be more than we could even stand to look at. We don't want to go back and revisit that wound. But if it's still wounding, if the dross is still coming up, it's still a part of your life. And, and I, I invite you to this day to make that choice, if you haven't already, to be that kind of forgiver. To walk in that kind of attitude. Not saying, okay, God, I've forgiven him three times. I'm done. I'm done. This guy is toast, right? I'm opting out. No, at that point, opt in. At that point, Say, God, because of what you've done for me, I'm going to focus on the depths of your love and your forgiveness for me and hope some of that leaks out on me, infects me, becomes contagious within me. God, let my heart go there rather than this place where it's harassed every time I, I rehearse this offense. God, no, let me be strengthened by your love so I can be that kind of person that loves so much that I value them and value you and value your kingdom business in them and me and in this world enough that I can get on your plan. You follow me? There's so much at stake. And we sacrifice so much when we hang on to our little offenses for the sake of proving a point to that fool. You know, I... I so, this is the question. Where, where are you? Maybe there's been a long time ago that you said, God, give me the strength to forgive that person. And the dross just keeps coming up. But, 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 but instead of dealing with it, you assume that maybe you just don't have the strength to do that. I'm not that spiritually strong. And none of us are. None of us are. When we're wounded deeply enough, none of us are. You didn't do anything wrong. You just started the process. So, so don't opt out now. Not on the third time, not on the eighth time, not on the 491st time. Let, let, let this be your attitude until you know the victory. And don't let anyone ensnare you from that which God would do in your heart and that God would do through you in this world. Because you're more given to him than even to yourself. 
Where are you this morning? Do you need help with that first step? Do you need to say, God, I, I don't opt out anymore. This morning I'm opting in. And I'm going to keep opting in until all the dross is gone. You're in a place of forgiveness. A place of complete grace. You're in the presence of the God who gave his life to redeem you. Just because he loves you. Who's patient with you. More than you can understand. He's cross material. And him living within you can make you so. Would you sign up for that refining journey this morning? If you do, great blessings will come from it. And you might know the best of them of all. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just do that right now. We make an altar in our hearts this morning and for those places already that your spirit has touched within us in this safe place, that dross that we suspect is deeply within. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to just offer that to you with open hands and keep those hands open until someday you have refined us to be pure gold, your pure gold. Soft again, loving again, open again, blessing again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Father, may we not resent your fire as we stand to sing your praise in your holy name. Amen.